is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of media. I'm Kenya Alonzo. And I'm Moises Villanueva. The Reverend Dr. Barba recently held a rally for the Poor People's Campaign, a call for moral revival. Reverend Dr. Barber was not the only one to speak at the rally, so tonight we are airing the speeches and stories that his fellow comrades and leaders shared. We'll also be hearing from Arturo Oribe, Monique Sadhab, Samia Aset, Tina Cordova, Ta Winward, Reverend Dr. Liz Till Harris, and Betsy Solsi. But first, let's listen to some music to aid in moral resistance. Here is Barris Hammond with Putting Up Resistance. The night with Reverend Dr. Barber and the Poor People's Campaign included inspiring words of love and hope and messages of movement building and resistance. Now, we will hear the passionate speakers who joined Reverend Dr. Barber on stage, starting with Betsy Solsi, who shared a powerful spoken word, and Reverend Dr. Liz Theoris, co-director of the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris will be followed by Samia Ased and Arturo Oribe. Let's listen in. This is dedicated to the women of Las Mujeres Avlan and those working for justice in their communities. With special thanks to Tina Cordova of the Tularosa Basin Downwinders Consortium, who is also on stage and will be joining us tonight. Growing up, I was disconnected. Some things were not discussed among people who valued hard work and employment. One-sided silence through years of schooling. I learned about the nuclear age from movies and propaganda and Bradbury field trips, the glorified versions of a history that happened in my own backyard. In our state of enchantment, pristine open spaces and a population not respected by a higher nation, still living off land as the industrial age passed them by, only to get thrust into nuclear realization beneath a mission urgent and thick with intensity, beneath a shroud of secrecy. I was not yet born the day scientists feared for our sky thoughts of atmospheric ignition and that everyone would die. I was not yet born when the Jemez was taken, homesteaders relocated, not of their volition, uranium miners on the road to perdition, beloved mountains occupied before I could praise them, disconnected from ancestral knowledge in three generations, clan animals vanished even as the jobs began to appear unprotected hired hands from the valley. A job was nothing to fear. It was a welcome exchange in hard times. I wasn't yet born the day silver ash rained down for days and a plume of poison drifted over state lines. 
radioactive fallout on cisterns of drinking water, on crops and livestock who all miscarried that year. The people were lied to and went about life as usual while the truth fled with bread over their mouths to keep from breathing air they knew was foul and the world was changed forever. A month later, 80,000 people were killed instantly, justified atrocity named enemy, and the book was closed on Trinity. Even though it was our own citizens who were bombed, children born into an experimental population with a cancer rate way higher than the average nation, entire families still sick and dying, still crying for the elders and children they lost too soon. I was born into military health care, mixed blood and desert beauty, free from the shame of colonized blame. My grandfather employed by Sandia, my downwinder grandmothers who birthed babies and taught me songs while washing tainted laundry and making pots from local clay. I wonder now, can earth decay? Eating eating the elk my uncles brought down, breathing fire smoke from trees that drank from discarded waste placed any place. Today, my daughters are born into single driver car twice daily parades, dependence on industrial weapon economic charades, the sound of bombs exploding as we pray towards the sun in the mornings. Will my cornmeal prayers protect them as they play in ditches carrying water from a source three miles away from tritium releases? What did my oldest get exposed to as I breathed in smoke from a tech area burned three times over? What kind of poison can penetrate the walls of my womb? What stories were silenced and why and from whom? The truth must be told from the people who lived it, who dwell in this place that houses our spirit. Respectfully, I pray for past, present, and future souls to be at peace someday, for clean earth, air, and water so my children can play, splashing and laughing as we tend to our gardens beneath the loving gaze of our sacred mountains, free of fear from invisible poison, free to hear undisturbed and clear the birds sing in the morning as we continue to question and speak our points of view let us share the stories anew that have never been told and release this pain not even a century old. No longer shamed by accusations of ignorance, let our diverse voices be our deliverance. No breath here is unimportant. We are free to pray each in our way for justice, strong leaders, and supportive institutions a foundation for our expectations as we welcome in this time of healing for the greater good of all generations. Kuntawaha. Thank you so much. We are launching, we are planning this Poor People's Campaign National Call for Moral Revival. And we are traveling, as Reverend Barber said, to 15 different regional gatherings and holding these mass meetings and press conferences and events. Um, and, and everywhere we go, we are focusing on these four evils 
that are wreaking havoc on our world. And we start with looking at systemic racism, including the voter suppression, the white supremacy, the, the genocide of our people. We're looking at the problem of poverty and the lack of living wages, the lack of health care, the poverty rates being incredibly high in this state of New Mexico. We're looking at the problem of the war economy and the militarization of our, of our whole world. And we're looking at the, the problem of ecological devastation, um, how this earth is being destroyed and destroying um, the people living in it. As we plan this Poor People's Campaign, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the campaign that Dr. King launched in December of 1967. And as he was launching it, he, he put together a, a massy lecture series. And when he was on the Canadian broadcast system, he said some words that I think are very powerful and, and should be with us as we plan this campaign and as we get ourselves ready for what we need to do for this next period. So in December of 1967, Dr. King got on the airwaves, a little bit like Twitter, and said, there is nothing wrong with a traffic law which says that you have to stop for a red light. But when a fire is raging, the fire truck goes right through that red light and normal traffic had better get out of the way. Or when a man is bleeding to death, the ambulance goes through those red lights at top speed. There is a fire raging now for the poor of this society. They are living in tragic conditions because of the terrible economic injustices that keep them locked in. Disinherited people all over the world are bleeding to death from deep social and economic wounds. They need brigades of ambulance drivers who will have to ignore the red lights of the present system until the emergency is solved. Massive civil disobedience is a strategy for social change, which at least is as forceful as an ambulance with its sirens on full. So I am here tonight, New Mexico, to ask you all, are you ready to become ambulance drivers? Will you sign up to blast through, to speed through those red lights of our current system? Will you speed through that cloud of uranium that poured down on this state? Will you speed through that systemic racism that is still embedded in our society? Will you speed through that poverty rate that is oh so very high for the poorest in our society? And will you sign up to be leaders in a poor people's campaign? Will you call for a national 
revival, moral revival to transform this nation. Are you ready? We are here launching a series of activities that will bring us to next spring. And next spring, we will have people in 25 states across this country and in Washington, D.C., becoming brigades of ambulance drivers. We will be speeding through those red lights. We will be protesting and marching. We will be educating and organizing. And we will change the narrative about poverty. We will organize our communities. We will build a movement that crosses every line that divides us. We will transform this nation. We will be right. We will be heard. So at this point, I want to call some of the very leaders from this state who are already ignoring those red lights, who are already speaking truth to power, truth to fire with their stories, who are organizing and educating and getting the word out. And so I want uh, folks to come join me, and if everyone could come up at the same time. We have um, Samia Ased, Arturo Uribe, Todd Winard, Monique Salab, and Tina Cordova. How glorious was that? Salam alaikum, peace be upon you. First I wanna say, before I begin anything, I recognize and I bear witness I am a privileged settler on native land. When we march and we organize and we, re we want and demand humanity, we must recognize the privileges that we have and fight for the indigenous community before ours. <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> ran and won a campaign based on fear that has already encouraged many attacks on Muslim Americans and their institutions. Every day, Americans are, bomb are bombarded with executive orders that seek to perpetuate systems of oppression, racism, Islamophobia, and xenophobia. The day after the election, I woke up with a heavy heart, and I fear for my children. I chose not to drive my son to school that day to avoid a run-in with racists celebrating what they may have translated as a license to harass, hurt verbally, and physically. I personally have been verbally attacked, spat on, stalked, and chased by cars, and I've chased them back. <laughs> right to the police stations. <laughs> Dozens of Muslim women have been attacked also in supermarkets here alongside their children. I can't tell you how many times I've had to console Muslim women's fears, real fears, of dealing with Islamophobia and, and racism. And these are newly fresh immigrant women that have come from the Iraqi war, the Syrian war. It's bad enough some of them have had so much family uh, killed. They've witnessed so much, the tyranny that they've had to live. So they come here with the expectations of just living a peaceful life, 
yet they're, they're seeing laws and a system that might send them back to the wars that this system, this country has shunned. It had no right to shun these wars. Millions of Muslims have been killed and have been devastated. So when we talk about our morality, yeah, we have to sit down and think about what we have done. As a Muslim American, I, uh, I, I'm emotionally exhausted, physically, as well. It's constant pressure. The fear is real for me. I sleep and wake up worried about my kids' safety and that of my communities. There's no immunity. There's no security. My citizenship does not provide me any of that. It can be taken away in one second. And I think that speaks to just not the Muslim community. Anybody now, the freedom of speech, the right to dissent, it's all under attack. The last couple of months have made me realize that I have a connection to black and brown mothers. I understand their fear for their sons and their children. I recognize that I share with them the fear of surveillance, of prof profiling. It's a real threat. We're threatened when we go to the mosque. We have spies amongst us. There's no peace of mind for us. A community that just wants to pray is always spied on, always looked on as if we're the evil. I would just like to say the reality of some of us fave every day is a very shameful part of American life. Hate and ignorance knows no color. I stand here strong in my faith, a Palestinian Muslim. I wear this hijab in honor of a Palestinian Jew, the Virgin Mary. The mother of a Palestinian Jew. My deep ethic and moral faith comes from my Islamic reliefs and are stemmed from all Abrahamic faiths. I recognize that my freedom is tied to the freedom of blacks, of natives, of immigrants, of everybody in America. So let's fight this fight together. Thank you so much. Hello. My name is Arturo Uribe. I'm from Mesquite, Nuevo Mexico. Our community is known for the smell and nuisance of flies from the many dairies that line Dairy Row that stretches for about three miles along Interstate 10 freeway. For decades, our family and neighbors have had to endure the quality of life that does not allow us to enjoy the simplest of things like outdoor events and cookouts. During the summer, the flies are so bad that even trying to be outside is a constant swatting of the flies. On certain days, when the wind blows towards our homes, you can smell the manure so bad that many of those family members who come to visit tell us that the smell is too unbearable and choose to drive and stay in either Las Cruces or in El Paso. It really is a bummer and an embarrassment when they tell us, how can you live here with that smell? But to be honest, many of us have grown used to it and we don't smell as, as bad when those who come to visit us. Many of us understand the value that the dairy industry has and that they provide jobs and products 
that people buy, but the way that the dairy operates must change. The dust that the cows create when they herd them into the milking parlors goes airborne and affects the quality of air that we breathe, the groundwater that affects the water aquifers that is ultimately pumped into our water system that provides our drinking water. Fortunately, our drinking water has yet to be contaminated, but it's only a matter of time until they are contaminated, and what then? In 2010, we were asked by attorneys if we wanted to file a nuisance suit against the dairies. It was a hard decision for many folks in my community to make. Some of us have family members that work at the dairies. Some folks had jobs that provided the hay and drove trucks delivering the milk and the byproducts that the dairies needed. It was not an easy decision. But members from the communities in Mesquite, Vado and Anthony joined in a lawsuit to address the nuisance issue and believed that this lawsuit would bring a positive change. It didn't. Instead, it divided our families and our communities. What the attorneys said they would do to bring that change did not happen. Instead, the attorneys on both sides reached a settlement that they agreed upon and made money and gave those of us in the lawsuit checks, money. It was not what we intended to achieve. Many folks believed that maybe the dairies would relocate and that the flies and smell would go away. We thought we were protecting our groundwater and our air, but it was obvious to us by the end of this experience that the attorneys were here only to take advantage of our situation and make money, and they did. I can't discuss the amount of money that was made because of the settlement agreement, but I can tell you that the attorneys on both sides made the most of it. It was a hard lesson to learn, but because many of the folks in my community speak Spanish and are poor and have families to support, when it came down to this settlement, many of the people agreed to it because they needed the money, even though we wanted to make our quality of life better. The money that they offered was something that many folks could not resist. They used the settlement to conquer and divide, even us, the ones that struggled and decided to sue our neighbors, the dairies. And in my honest opinion, they used this and doing so knowingly. And to me, that was an injustice. Although people look at our small rural communities as places to cite, and bring contaminating industries like the dairy industry that negatively impact our air, water, and quality of life. I stand here proud and humble to let you all know that even though the people think that we are poor, we are rich in family values, rich in traditions, and even though some of us are poor, we can use our voice to make those who are elected and represent us to make the changes at the state and federal level on the policies that impact our quality of life. With all respect and from my heart, we have stood up and fought for a better community for our grandkids, and we will take this experience and share it with others and with you so that maybe no other community is pissed and on by contaminated industries and dishonest attorneys. Thank you.
You just heard from Betsy Solsi, Reverend Dr. Liz Till Harris, Samia Aset, and Arturo Uribe. Tonight, we are revisiting the amazing speakers who contributed to the Poor People's Campaign event in Albuquerque. Now we will hear from Todd Winward, Monique Salhab, and Tina Cordova. Hello. Reverend Barber asked if you see us. Do you see us? What I see out here is a future of hope. What I see here is a communion of saints, but what I really see here is the biggest 12-step group I've ever seen. <laughs> My name is Todd, and I'm an addict. I'm addicted to petroleum. I'm guessing you might be too. I live up in Taos, and it took a lot of petroleum to get down here, and I'm guessing if you came from LA, or if you came around the corner, you might have used a little petroleum. So Reverend Barber, all of us, we had better be doing something with this petroleum. We had better make this happen. I'm addicted to the most life-destroying drug I've ever seen, and I keep being addicted to it. We better be launching something. Most of my life, I have lived on the edge of a river and in the shadow of a mine, the Rio Grande and the Malicor mine up north of Taos. I took my son fishing there. We all have sons and daughters. We all want to eat off the land, and I couldn't even eat the fish or drink the water that is the most native gift of God. It's an abundant blessing, undeserved, amazing grace. The mine, on the other hand, is a man-made institution that keeps clocking and keeps ticking at a terrible price. We have sold our creation for convenience. I should have walked on my knees to meet you today down the Rio Grande, and I would have. Instead, I drove because it was convenient and because I'm addicted. We need to talk about our water, our land, our people. It's not just the corporation. I love judging the Mollycore mine until I realized that the bike that I biked down to the river was made of the very same metal that was being mined. I am an addicted member of consumer culture. Will we keep the fish being poisoned? How long will we keep our river being toxic? How long will we have the sacrifice zones that we just spoke about, the places that smell? the places that are blighted. How long will New Mexico allow for that to happen? This is a moral revival and I need to be woken up. I hope you need to be woken up. Your life is too small. Your God is too small. Business as usual is too small for what we have today. The stakes are too high. And we cannot think about just human beings that live on this planet right now. We have seven generations to be thinking about. I'm a Mennonite minister for Watershed Discipleship. Are there Mennonites in the house? Are there Mennonites in the house? We've been living a little too small. It's time to get big again. It's time to live large. Please think about this as an invitation to inflate yourself into God-sized proportions with us. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Monique Salhab. 
I'm an Iraq War veteran and a first-generation American of Middle Eastern and Central American parents. My father is also a veteran. As a child, I experienced violence. He treated me like I was one of his little troops. I chose to go into the military because of a belief to serve. I was taught that and I was told that throughout my childhood. As a veteran, my true oath is to speak truth about the costs of war, to speak about the damage war causes to the body, the mind, and the spirit, what war does to families, to communities, women, and children, the destruction it wreaks upon countries. I deployed twice to Iraq, supposedly to defend this country from a foreign enemy. Instead, what I witnessed is our country as the enemy, waging war upon Iraq citizens, its children, its elderly. When I deploy to Iraq, what I remember are the children, the look in their eyes, that look of why. It's something that I have never, ever forgotten. When I came back, I made a conscious decision in some way or form to speak to children, and so now I do. I speak to middle school. I speak to middle school, high school, and college students, educating them on the reality of the military and the reality of war. It is through educating children and stripping away the lies of the military, which I believe can assist with exposing the true costs of war. While serving in the military, I was subjected to racism, gender bias, and sexual bias. I am a veteran, a queer woman of color. I state these labels not because I love labels, but these are the labels that society places upon me. I returned from war broken, broken in body, mind, and spirit. I struggled through addiction and homelessness. I witnessed the utter destruction that our military wreaked upon another nation, the devastation to its infrastructure, the destruction of homes, the destruction of centuries of culture and the polluting of a nation. The serious purpose of the military is to kill, to destroy, just as the military occupies countries, the military is occupying our public school systems. It is the economic draft of the 21st century. Throughout the last two decades, we have seen junior ROTC programs invade our public school systems preying upon poor and low-income communities, people of color and white. And as a nation, we fully witnessed the military's secret arming of the local police departments and its impacts of the 21st century with Ferguson. The weapons of Iraq and Afghanistan came home to bring so-called peace to a community. As activists and peacekeepers, we are witnessing the increased suppression 
of our First Amendment. We are witnessing the militarization of immigration and the demonization of Muslims and Muslims Americans. We are bearing witness to the deportation and detaining of individuals who represent the true spirit of being an American. I'm a member of an organization called Veterans for Peace. <laughs> and what I have found in Veterans for Peace is what I thought I would find in the military. I just want to share our mission. We as military veterans do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others, both nationally and internationally, to increase public awareness of the causes and costs of war, to restrain our government from intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations. <laughs> to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons. <laughs> to seek justice for veterans and victims of war. And to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. <laughs> the US government has purposefully and systematically worked to militarize our communities, to militarize our minds. It is, is designed to destroy the spirit. My oath, my true oath, is to continue to work for peace in this community and all communities that welcome me. Thank you. and gentlemen, my name is Tina Cordova, and I'm the co-founder of the Tularosa Basin Downwinders Consortium, or the TBDC for short. We're a grassroots organization that was founded 12 years ago to bring attention to the negative health effects that the people suffered in the communities that were adjacent to the Trinity test site in south central New Mexico. The New Mexico Downwinders are the collateral damage that resulted from the development and testing of the first atomic bomb. We are the people, mostly indigenous people of color, who had our land stolen to establish the Manhattan Project, the Los Alamos National Labs, and the Trinity Test Site. We are the people who lived as close as eight miles to the test site. We are the people who lived in the shadow of the labs, oftentimes made to work there without consent. We are the uranium miners that were sent into the pit to bring out the yellow cake that would be utilized to develop the bomb. We are the unknowing, unwilling, uncompensated, innocent victims of the bomb who were enlisted into service without consent or knowledge. People have been dying ever since, and we've buried far too many of our loved ones. We have no elders left in our communities any longer. They've all since died. As a result, we have a cycle of poverty associated with the cost of taking care of our health when we get sick from the radiation poisoning and we live in rural New Mexico. 
You can never get treatment at home because there's no medical facilities in these small towns. It places you in a position of undue stress, both emotionally and physically. People tell me stories of how they hold bake sales to buy pain medications, or how they have to sell cattle to pay for their chemotherapy, or how a wife has to go door to door in her Pueblo community to try to raise money for fuel to get her husband to and from Albuquerque several times a week for his treatments. The militarization of New Mexico that took place with the testing and development of the bomb has had far-reaching negative consequences, the depths of which we may never fully know or understand. When a family has to spend all they have to obtain medical care, they need to survive the cancer that they've developed. They only rack up debt. They never have a chance to develop assets. The U.S. government has been very good at hiding the truth about what really took place here in New Mexico. They categorized the area around the Trinity site as remote and uninhabited, when in reality, according to the U.S. Census, over 40,000 people lived in a 50-mile radius. That is neither remote nor uninhabited. In 1945, people lived a very organic lifestyle in rural New Mexico. They had no running water. They used cisterns or ditches to collect water for drinking, cooking, bathing, cleaning, and doing laundry. They depended on the earth, the soil, the water to produce all the food they ate. They had gardens and orchards, and they raised cows and pigs and chickens, sheep, goats, and the like for food. And they hunted wild game when it was necessary. One man told me, we didn't have much, but we had all we needed, and it was all destroyed by the bomb. Imagine a radioactive cloud that rises over seven miles into the atmosphere with 10 pounds of plutonium that never fissioned, that has a half-life of 24,000 years. Imagine an ash settling out on everything, on the soil, in the water, in the air, on the plants, and on the skin of every living thing, both animal and human. It was an environmental disaster of grand proportions and the total destruction of a way of life for everyone who lived in New Mexico at the time. No one knew what had just taken place. Most people alive at the time have told me they thought it was the end of the world. And while it wasn't the end of the world, it was the beginning of the end for so many people. People like my father, Anastasio Cordova, it was the beginning of the end for him. He lived in Tularosa, about 40 miles away the crow flies from the test site. He was one of those who lived a simple but full life in rural New Mexico and who paid the ultimate price for simply being a child raised in a downwind community. My father died at the age of 71 after suffering with three different cancers for more than eight years. Cancers that he didn't have risk factors for. Oh, but yes he did because exposure to high levels of radiation damages cells, which leads to cancer, and changes your DNA. And now I have the genetics, and I too am a cancer patient, but one that has survived so far. And through our exposure, we have passed on the damaged DNA to our children and our children's children from one generation to another, never to be the same. The TBDC does the work that we do because downwinders in other parts of the country, specifically the Nevada test downwinders, have been compensated and taken care of by the U.S. government for 27 years. They have received more than $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion in claims. Imagine what that would mean to the poor people of New Mexico. 
It's hard for me to accept that somehow our government considers their suffering to be greater than ours or of more consequence, that somehow they count for more than we do. And we wonder, could it be because we're the indigenous people of color? It's high time that we hold our government accountable for the injustice that was done to the innocent people of New Mexico. It is high time, it is high time for the atonement that we've been denied for 72 years. There is a moral and ethical imperative to right this wrong, and the time is now, because let me tell you, otherwise we're no better than those who poison their own and walk away. Thank you. Thank you, Todd Winward, Monique Salhab, and Tina Cordova. Thank you to all the speakers for inspiring people to stand up and make a change. Now, let's listen to some uplifting music that shows that we are a community that can rise up. Here's Rise Up by Andra Day. Come to the end of another great show. We'd like to thank our guests, Arturo Uribe, Monique Salhab, Samia Asad, Tina Cordova, Todd Weinert, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, and Betsy Sosi for sharing your time and stories with us. And a big thank you to Reverend Dr. Barber and the Poor People's Campaign for all that you do. Product, production assistance for tonight's show came from Kamari Umi, Jonathan Alonso, Pilar Montelero, Kerry Suni, and Roberta Real. And thanks to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generous Injustice will also like to thank KUNM for helping to bring you, KUNM listeners, the voices of young people in New Mexico. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us. We're also active on social media, so make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Conama Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm Kenya Alonzo. And I'm Moises Villanueva. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico, and have an amazing week. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. Freedom is something that you have to do for yourself. This is why I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. Of soul. Uh, 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 uh. Talking 
from the well, locked in a factory. 